0: Hello, Redemption. Good morning. Good to see you guys. I am very excited to be here uh, in a bunch of ways in Arizona, in Tempe, at Redemption on the stage. So a whole bunch of ways uh, that I'm just I'm excited to be before you here. As As Ricardo mentioned. Uh, My name is Benjamin. I am married to Lacey, and we have a little daughter named Zoe. Uh, Beautiful family. I'm very thankful to God for them. Uh, We're from Minnesota. We were here. All right. Thank you. That's great. That's great. So Minnesotans come down here to thaw out. Takes several years, maybe decades. So we might might just stick around for a long, long time. Um, And uh, we came about nine months ago, so still relatively new to Arizona, to uh, what goes on here. Um, A few observations about Arizona. It tends to get a little warm in the summer. Uh, not mentioned when we were on the phone in October. They were like, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful down here. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, we were told a lot. I stopped counting at 50, because uh, this is what Minnesota and Arizona have in common. They're, they're very different, but they're a lot alike in extreme weather. So here's what we say in Minnesota. You get there in June, July, whatever, September's beautiful, and we say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's good now, but just you Wait. Just wait. The boat you're gonna to to take the boat out of the lake and they're gonna put the ice sauce on. It's gonna get cold in January, you know. So that's that's Minnesota. And there are people who kind of talk like that. Um, I don't exactly, but but and, you know, in Arizona the same way. I don't I don't know exactly what the Arizona is accent is other than when I say, hey, "Dude, it's hot here," and people go, "Right?" I don't know. That's whatever that is. Uh, that's a that's an Arizona thing, right? It's great, but uh, but but people say here too. Hey, it's beautiful October, November. Just I mean, all the months pretty much, and they say, but just you wait, it's gonna get hot. So it's good. It feels like we're at home, and then we also agree that California is just generally weak. Uh, you know, 75 and sunny. That's that's so easy. Too easy to do that. We want to be in extreme <laughs> weather. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's a little bit about me. Uh, in seriousness, I want to say uh, we are very blessed to be here. Uh, it's been awesome for me as a man and as a, as a pastor, hopeful to be trained by these guys like Ricardo and all the other pastors. I've really clicked with them. I love them. My wife and I feel very loved here by the fellowship and the friendship of the people we've met and you all. And so we are, we thank God for the blessing of being here at Redemption Church. Um, let me pray for us and then we're going to get into it. A uh, lot to cover in this text, so uh, I want to I jump into it. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be here today. It's good because of your gospel. Would you just pour grace out on us today? Lord, help me to be clear with your gospel and help the hearers here to hear clearly. Let it penetrate their hearts and their souls. And would you change us to be more like you, Jesus? Do this by your spirit, in your name, Amen. amen. All right. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We've got some uh, good-looking folks coming up here going to pass out Bibles. Romans 3, verses 21 through 24, it was read before this. I'm going I'm to jump right into the text, and we'll get, I'm going to read along. Here, here's my points. Uh, I want to recap what we've already gone through the last about 13 weeks, uh, 11 weeks of, of sort of tough news, harsh news. And then, and then I want to hit three points of my own. Jesus is the righteousness of God. Point two, Jesus is our righteousness. And point three, Jesus is our redemption. So three points. Um, as you find your spot in the Bible, uh, for Romans 3, let me tell a little story. Uh, my, my cute little daughter, Zoe, uh, is, is such a sweetie pie. She's just a little button. And we have this little practice around our house. If you're a parent, you know this. You like to play doctor, right? And so she'll come up to me and say, uh, Daddy, are you feeling sick? And I say, uh, I maybe be. And she says, Good, come on, get on the couch. And she has me lay on the couch she says, what's wrong? And I say, uh, I don't know, my hand is a little achy, or I kind of have a headache. And she, she checks me with a little stethoscope. She says, you have a rumbly in your tumbly. <laughs> that's her diagnosis. And the thing is, it's funny, because whether it's your knee, or your head, or your hands, or whatever, it's, it's always, you have a rumbly in your tumbly. That's a, it's a Winnie the Pooh thing, and that's her diagnosis, always. And so, so here's the thing. When she gives me that diagnosis, At the end of it, she does a few things, give me fake medicine and does a stethoscope thing, taps my knee, and says, she just just declares, you are all right, and that's it, we're good to go. Um, I love my daughter to pieces. She is so cute. She is darling, but I suspect she's a terrible doctor. (laughs) Because no matter what happens, she's always giving the same diagnosis, rumbly and tumbly, and at the end of it, she always says, you are all right, even though she's never really given me anything. But God is not a terrible doctor, and God never gives a false diagnosis or wrong diagnosis. And for the last two and a half chapters of Romans, we've been getting a diagnosis about ourselves and our condition, which is this, we are hopeless, we are sinners and unrighteous, we are in trouble. The diagnosis of God is, you are not all right. That's been the last two and a half chapters, 11 weeks. Just so you just so, just so can recall this back to mind, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give one word, little descriptions of the last 11 weeks, okay? First two weeks were good, obedience and gospel, and then 11 weeks was this. Wrath, sin, idolatry, depravity, righteous judgment, 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 hypocrisy and blasphemy, circumcision and condemnation, Jewish advantage, but condemnation. Circumcision and condemnation. Oh, I said that one. And last week, total unrighteousness and then judgment. That's been the last 11 weeks. And here's a few highlights. Their condemnation is just, Romans 3, nine. None are righteous, not even one, Romans 3.11. So if you're not having fun yet, I don't know what we can do with you because 11 weeks of judgment and condemnation. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin, Romans 3.20. And then comes Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. But now, but now, these two little words, a conjunction and a little temporal word, but now, the, the, but now is like, um, it's like little tugboats. You ever seen a tugboat? Grabs a huge freight liner and tugs it. It's, it's crazy how small that thing is and how big it can pull. These are like little tugboats that are pulling freight liners of grace. And it's coming to us. But now. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a, it was a preacher in England. He said, there are no more wonderful words in the whole of scripture than these two words, But now. And here's why he says that. The New Testament loves these words. Listen to this. Romans 6, 21. Those things that brought death, but now that you have been set free from sin. Ephesians 5, 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Colossians 1, 21, 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Romans 7.6, Romans 16.26, Galatians 4, eight, Hebrews 12.26, 1 Peter 2.10, 1 Peter 2.25, all but now. Paul is saying something to us, guys. He's saying, listen up, listen up. I know it's been bad news. I know it's been deep, but I got good news for you. But now, the good news is coming. This is a shift from the domination of sin, darkness, over to the reign of Christ. So, little recap, none are righteous, not even one. But now, point one, Jesus is the righteousness of God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So Paul is beginning to unwrap for us the gift of the gospel. It's like the greatest Christmas present of all time. It's even better than the BB gun you got when you were seven. It's better than that. And as he unwraps it, the first thing you see is the righteousness of God. So we have to ask, what is the righteousness of God? Well, here's what it is. First, it's Jesus. Jesus was perfect in every way. He was sinless, totally sinless, not one tiny thought of lust or selfish anger or greed or jealousy, never. Never one action of sin. He was perfect and sinless in his whole life fulfilled the law of God to be perfect. And he not only was perfect from what he didn't do in his sin, he was perfect for what he did do. He loved perfectly. He loved his neighbor perfectly. He prayed to God perfectly. He had communion with the Father. He separated himself and said, I want to be with my Father perfectly. And then he went and he was with people perfectly. Rich people and poor people, religious people, irreligious people, the sick, the healthy, Jesus was with them all perfectly. Jesus is the righteousness of God. Tim Keller defines righteousness like this. It's a validating performance record which opens doors. A performance record which opens doors. So if that's, that's a mouthful, think about this. When you go into a job, what do you have to give? You have to give a resume. Righteousness is like the resume you give. You put it down before them. You say, look at my qualifications, look at my experience. If you're qualified, if you're right, you say, Accept me, that's righteousness. Here's my righteousness. Here's my righteousness for this job. Here's my righteousness to get into this college or this school. Here's my transcript. That's that's what this is. The righteousness of God. We see this in the Bible too. Second Samuel twenty two, twenty one. This is David before he was king. He's running from Saul. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. So we have an example here. David kept the ways of the Lord and he says that he delivered me because of my, righteous, my righteousness. Now, now, if you've come to this church a little bit and you've heard the gospel, maybe right now your, your sort of gospel spidey sense is tingling because you're like, wait, wait a second, I thought we didn't earn our righteousness but it looks like David says it's his righteousness so what's the deal, yo? Like that's, that should be happening a little bit. You're like, I don't, I don't know. Well, what are we learning in Romans 1? Romans 3, the righteous shall live by faith. So let's back up a little bit. In that same song that David is singing, it's a song of deliverance from his enemies. So 2 Samuel 22, verse 3 says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. The point David was a man of faith. His righteousness was not his own. It was from faith. He lived as a righteous man by faith in God. And now listen to this. It gets better. David, David gets worse first and then it gets better. David commits the worst sin of his life, I'm sure. He sees a woman. He wants her. She's married. He commits adultery with her because he was king. This is when he's a powerful king. It's Bathsheba. You might know the story. And then he wants her. He keeps going in his sin and he tries to kill his her husband, and he does, he plots to kill him. So essentially, David commits adultery and murder. And this is what he says in the Psalm of His repentance. Psalm 51:14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Your righteousness. Your righteousness. That's what what David says to God. How is he delivered? He's delivered by God's righteousness. So when Paul says the law and the prophets bear witness to it, he's not meaning just Jesus. Although Jesus is, is born witness all throughout scriptures, you can't throw a dart at the Bible of the Old Testament and not hit something that alludes to Jesus in some way. But here specifically he's saying justification, righteousness by faith. Because he was getting some flack, I think, from the religious saying, dude, you're making this up. You're making up this thing about righteousness by faith. It's by the law. You've got to do what God tells you to do. That's how you're righteous. That's how you get to heaven. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm not making this up. Look at scripture. Look at Abraham. Genesis 15, 6. He believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Second Samuel 22, like we read, Habakkuk 2, 4. The righteous shall live by faith. That's what Paul quotes in, in Romans 1, 17. This is all throughout scripture. Not just that Jesus is there, but people are righteous. They're made righteous by faith. So we have a question, right? How did God's righteousness deliver David from his wretched sin? How? Or maybe uh, more for us close to home, how does the righteousness of God deliver you and me from our sin? How does this work? Apart from the law, how does this work? Here's the answer. Romans three, twenty one through twenty four says, By faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified by grace as a gift. So the reality of sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but then we see the phrase, and are justified by his grace as a gift. So how does God's righteousness pay for our sin? How does it justify us? Let's ask, what does justified mean, okay? Let's get into that a little bit. What does the word justified mean? Well, uh, here's a fun fact. Justified is the same word as righteousness. Dikaiasune, for you Bible nerds, all right? So it's same word. Justification and righteousness are the same word. It's a metaphor here, too. Justification brings up language of a courtroom, all right? So picture yourself here. We're standing in a courtroom, and you are the accused, And you have no hope. The accusation is your sin. There's no shred of evidence that you are righteous, that you are perfect, that you can make it to God on your own. And in this courtroom, Jesus stands up and he walks forward and he says, I will take his condemnation and I will give him my righteousness. Jesus earned the right to justify us because he lived a perfect life and fulfilled the law. And only God could do this. So this is a divine miracle that's happening in this courtroom. That's what the picture is, this courtroom. And then justified by, by grace as a gift. It's given to us. Grace is, is unmerited favor. You can't earn grace by nature. You just can't do it. It's always a gift. It's always a gift. And then he says grace as a gift. He further emphasizes this is great. This is a gift. This is what this is saying. Paul's going, hey, hey, everyone listen. This is is free. This is the righteousness of God Almighty given to you who believe absolutely, unequivocally, no strings attached, free. Now, um, I know some of us have a hard time with that idea. You've maybe heard this before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're a long time Christian. Maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian. Because you're sitting there and you're going, "Um, listen, this sounds great, but if, if, if it's all free, if it's all a gift, what do I have to do? And, and this is how we talk to, talk to God. Even when we say we, we believe the gospel, sometimes that's how it works. We look at God and we say, God, you don't want lazy followers. You want people who work hard and who are successful. That is how the kingdom will grow. You don't want lazy followers. And God looks at us and says this you say it, you don't. I don't want lazy followers. We say to him, you don't want lazy followers, God. And God says, you don't. No, he he zings us, right? God gives us a zing, like, you don't. Here's what I mean. We say to God, we don't want, he doesn't want lazy followers. We shouldn't be lazy. We gotta work for him. And God looks at us and says, no, no, no. You got it backwards. You don't want a lazy God. You don't want a lazy God. You do not want a God who sits back And says, Bro, I've been here the whole time, just waiting for you. You do not want a God who says, Balls in your court. You don't want that God. (laughs) And praise Jesus, we don't have that God. Here's a short way to say it You don't need to do the work to get to God because God has done the work to get to you. You don't have to work to get to God, you don't have to work to earn his love, to earn his favor. He has done the work, and the work is Jesus Christ living perfectly, dying on the cross and rising again. That is the gospel. That's the good news. This truth about work and about righteousness, it changed Martin Luther's life. Now, if you don't know who Martin Luther is, he was a monk back in the 1500s. He had a funny little monk haircut, you know, where they're bald in the middle, and like on the sides they grow hair, and he wore the the robe that Friar Tuck made you know, famous from Peter Pan, or uh, what, Peter Pan, Robin Hood, that's it. Robin Hood, <laughs> Friar Taku. who, and Luther did like beer, just to say, like, he's kept in line with the Friar idea, so, uh, but, but listen to this. This is the truth that changed Martin Luther's life. He was plagued all the time with this with conscience that he was a sinner before God. He tried everything. He would sleep on hard floors. He would go a long time without eating. He even, he even went to Rome and climbed up a whole tower of steps on his hands and knees, why? He's trying to show God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry I'm a sinner. And all of that didn't work. He still felt the weight of his own sin before a holy and just God. What to do? You know what changed him? The word. Romans. The gospel. Here's what happened. He says this. He saw, Romans 1, 16 and 17, he saw the righteous shall live by faith and it clicked. Here's a quote from him from Luther. I took the righteousness of God to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Okay, righteousness of God, it's him being righteous in punishing the bad people. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open, oh sorry, I missed that, (laughs) this is a big one. Uh, Therefore I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. And, And that's convicting to me how many of us really want to earn it ourselves, and when God gives us the gifts, we we hate him for it in some ways. Then, this is great, then I grasped the righteousness of God. It's that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us by faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors of paradise when I saw the difference that law is one thing and gospel another, I broke through. As I had formerly hated the expression the righteousness of God, I now began to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word so that this expression of Paul's became to me the very truth, the gate of paradise. In very truth, a gate of paradise. Justified by grace as a gift. And the grace that mentions, the grace of God, that's Jesus. The grace of God is the Son of God. It's revealed in Jesus so that in Christ, the bad news of God's righteous judgment on us turns to good news. We were lost children, and Jesus the Rescuer came, from a, came into this far and dark and wicked country to bring us lost sons and lost daughters home. That's who Jesus is. He's the Rescuer. Uh, I want to I step back here and just go back to that courtroom picture I, I felt this way, and I think some of you probably do too. You're in the courtroom, right? God, God is up here. He's tall. He's on the judge's stand. We're down here, accused, and then Jesus comes up next to us. That's this, this beautiful picture of courtroom grace. God looks at, looks at us, looks at Jesus, and looks back at us and says, because of him, I declare you not guilty. And sometimes I think in our minds we think he's not guilty, You're free to go. It's cold. It's clinical. It's sort of barren forgiveness. You you can go. You can go out the back door. And God stays on his stand. But that is not how this works. Here's justification. You're in the courtroom. God's on the stand. We're down here, accused, condemned, no hope. Jesus steps up. God looks at us, condemned. He looks at Jesus, looks back at us, and says, Not guilty. Because of his righteousness, because he took your unrighteousness and gave you his righteousness, you are not guilty. But then the judge, the righteous judge, God Almighty, stands up. He takes off his judge's robe. He runs down the stand, and he grabs us, and he hugs us, and he weeps and laughs in joy because his son has been returned to him. Because his daughter has been returned to him. God is a judge and a father. So when he says not guilty, he is the happiest one. Not us, he is happier than we are. Sons and daughters brought back to him. He embraces us. That is justification. If any of you have a lingering doubt or guilt left in your heart from that courtroom thing, I think this can happen. That... I'm, I'm so bad, and I, I believe that Jesus died for me, but I feel guilty that He had to die for me. You get that? Do you feel that? How that could happen? It's my sin that put him on the cross, and Jesus had to die for me, and I feel guilty that he did. I mean, he, I know he wanted to, He chose it, but I, I'm still guilty. Uh, hear this. Hear this. This is, this is big. We are not disciples of a dead teacher. We are disciples of a living king. He's not dead, he's not dead. Expel the guilt from your heart. Trust in Jesus, he went of his own accord and he died for your sins and he rose again and he's not dead, he's a living king. He is alive, he's alive now on the throne in heaven and by his spirit he is here and he's the living God of the universe and we can rejoice and say amen, that's the gospel, that's the goodness of God for me, a sinner. Let go of that guilt. Let let go in those dark corners of your heart. All of the junk that you've ever done, all the junk that's ever been done to you, we hold on to it. I remember times in like sixth grade when I was really mean to a kid named John in front of me on the bus. I was hitting his head or something. I thought I was cool. I thought I was more popular. I picked on him. Like the fact, can I, I remember that. I mean, that's a long time ago. I think we all have those. And I think we pack them away in the corners of our hearts and we say, yeah, but that's so long ago. No big deal. I don't know. Just, it's, God doesn't care about that stuff. He cares about now. And I want to say, let the gospel, let justification shine the light in those, those corners and say, there's no more accusations. All the junk you ever did and all the junk you ever will do, by faith, has been. you've been justified in Jesus. Let me tell you a story here. Uh, my, my, so, so Jesus is the righteousness of God. Second point, Jesus is our righteousness. That's how, that courtroom. He becomes our righteousness. And finally, Jesus is our redemption. Before I, I, I get into that, Jesus is our redemption, I want to tell a little story. Uh, because sin is very deceptive. And legalism is everywhere, and it's cunning, and it looks different. I mean, I think you can go to parties at ASU where people are getting drunk, and you'll still find legalism. Isn't that crazy? I think you can find it. Find people everywhere trying to justify themselves, trying to prove. Why do you go in earlier to work? Why do you stay later? Is it because you really want to serve your company, or do you want to impress your boss? Do you want to prove to him? Do you want to justify yourself? Why do you read all those books about parenting? And why are you so free with the advice about parenting, which all parents love getting advice from other parents unwarranted. Uh, <laughs> is it because you really love children and love your children or is it because you want to prove to somebody, hey, I'm justified as a father, I'm justified as a mother and my, my, my kids. So I'm, I'm going to go for this story where all people go when they're talking about justification, Greek mythology. All right? Um, this is a story by, about a king named Sisyphus. All right? Sisyphus was a bad dude, very deceptive, very cunning. He made the gods angry. Gods are almost always angry in Greek mythology. They are like uh, fickle teenage girls. <laughs> if Not here, not you teenage girls, but the other teenage girls who are fickle. It, it, by the way, if, if, if you get angry, um, please send, send me an email about that. I'm, I'm at Raber at redemptionaz.com. <laughs> Sisyphus. Angers the gods. I think he angered the big boy, Zeus, and he had a curse. The curse was this. Sisyphus, for all of eternity, you are cursed to push a rock from the bottom of a mountain all day long in the hot sun up to the top of the mountain. But here's the curse. At the very top, when you're almost there, you lose your grip, and it rolls all the way down the mountain working and sweating and toiling all day long to, for, to push the rock up the mountain, day after day after day, and it rolls back down, and you have to walk down the mountain, and the next morning start again. That's his curse forever. It's a, it's a pretty good curse. Like, they, that was good. I, mean, they, that, I think they really thought about that. <laughs> now, here's what legalism does, right? Here's, here's, how it, here's how it sneaks in. We hear about the gospel... And we, we hear that the, the gospel is, is God loves us and wants to help us. And so we bring the gospel to that story, and we say, hey, hey, you pushing the rock up the mountain, you don't have to do it on your own. God will help you push the rock up the mountain. That's what he does. He's a helper. He loves us. He wants to help us. You don't have to push the rock by yourself. Right? That sounds, that's the gospel. That's what sounds like the gospel. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Here's the gospel. God doesn't care about the rock. He cares about you. He cares about you. He doesn't need your works. He doesn't need your deeds. He wants you. And He wants you with Him at the top of the mountain. He doesn't help you push the rock up. He comes down the mountain and He picks you up and He carries you up the mountain. That is the gospel. That is grace. That is the gift that God gives us in Jesus. So, remember at the beginning how God, I mentioned my, my, the story about my daughter, and how God gives the perfect diagnosis, and our diagnosis is bad news. God also gives the perfect remedy, which is the gospel, which is justification by faith. How does it work? How are we saved? How does justification apply to us? By one thing, by faith, by believing in Jesus. So, finally, point three Jesus is our redemption. Jesus is the righteousness of God, Jesus is our righteousness. And Jesus is our redemption. I think this is interesting, the way Paul writes this. Justification was that courtroom metaphor. We've talked about it. We fleshed it out. And and now redemption. Redemption is a different metaphor. It's a metaphor of slavery, of bondage. And in this term, in the gospel terms, the slavery is slavery to sin, slavery to death. When we are redeemed by Jesus, this is verse 24, justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the rescuer. He comes to this far, wicked, dark country, and he pays the price for us. We were not only in the dark country as lost children, we were chained up. We were slaves to our own sin and to our death. And Jesus is the Redeemer. He comes and he frees us. When Jesus buys us, he doesn't just buy our past, though he does. He owns all of us. He owns our past, and he owns our future. Everything you've ever done and ever will done, ever will do, Jesus owns it. That's, that's his redemption. Jesus is our redemption. We are no longer slaves. We are free. We are free. First Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received Mercy. What is redemption for? To bring us back to God. Jesus died to bring us to God. It's in first Peter. Listen to this quote from a theologian named Herman, Herman Bavink. The believer who is justified in Christ is the freest creature in the world. He's the freest creature in the world. Galatians 5. Five, one, and then I'm going to skip ahead to five thirteen 13 to 14. 5, 1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So, so why are we freed? Why, why justification? Why redemption? We have these, sh- these shackles on. Why, why does he take them off, pay them with his blood? The price is himself, and then rise again and lead us out of slavery. Why? Galatians 5, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Verses 13 to 14, for you were called the freedom brothers, only Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't isn't this amazing how this turns? You can't work to get to God, but once God comes to us and saves us, we fulfill the law by our deeds? It's amazing. God gives the diagnosis. God gives the remedy. God is the remedy. Why are we redeemed? Brothers and sisters, we are redeemed to love. We are redeemed to love each other. We are redeemed to love the city. We are redeemed to love all who come in our paths. God has made us a way to love God and from that love we turn and we love our neighbors as ourselves and the whole law is fulfilled in that because we were justified by grace as a gift. By faith we are justified. We are free. We are free from our sins, our own sins. We are free from all the sins of people that sinned against us. We're free to love we're free to sacrifice. We're free to laugh and we're free to cry. We're free to give and we're free to serve. We're free. We are, we are free. Jesus is our justification. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our redemption. So, we are the freest creatures in the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace the grace that you give in your Son Jesus, perfect life, a death to pay for our sins, and a resurrection to conquer sin and death and to lead us out of slavery into your redemption. Jesus, you are our redemption, Lord there are lots of things going on in the hearts of this room. People who have heard this before, people who have never heard this, people who don't even believe in you or don't know where they're at with you. Would you send your spirit and work on us, God? Just as we can't do the work to get to you, Lord, do the work to get to us and come here now and be with us. my sons and daughters, you adopt us into your family and you free us from the shackles. Would you be working in our hearts, Lord? Search our hearts. Stir our hearts up. As we come to the table, as we respond to this gospel, Lord, would you show us where we are not free and bring your grace to that place? And would you bring to mind how we can love our neighbor as ourselves? And not all of that, Lord, would you be glorified? In your name, Jesus, amen.